This podcast is proudly brought to you by Soul Street Coffee. Start your day with a smile. You can visit them at www.soulstreetcoffee.com. And Anchor, the premier podcast hosting platform. Are you interested in launching your own podcast? Please visit them at anchor.fm. Welcome into our coverage of the Southeastern Conference football season. Hi everyone, I am Summer and I want to thank you for joining us. I am pleased to be joining my guys Billy and Kenneth all season long covering the best conference in college football and they will be joining me in just a moment. Kenneth has said all week long in our production meetings that for him there are a couple of head coaches that don't have a lot of confidence in their quarterbacks. Looking at their run-to-pass ratio is a key indicator. We are looking at Ole Miss and their quarterback Matt Corral, Auburn and their quarterback Bo Nix and A&M quarterback Kellen Mond this week. Here's the lineup for Saturday's games. Mississippi State at Alabama. Georgia at Kentucky. LSU at Auburn. Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. Our game of the week Arkansas at Texas A&M. And Missouri at Florida. And now Billy will give you where the lines and totals open for each game, and we will have a bonus podcast on Saturday morning, as we will give a last look to see where they are before kickoff. Alabama opened favored by 32.5 over Mississippi State with a game total of 62.5. Our power ratings have this game with Alabama favored by 27. Auburn opened favored by 1 over LSU with a game total of 62.5. Our power ratings have this game with LSU favored by 3.5. Florida opened favored by 12 and a half over Missouri with a game total of 61 and a half. Our power ratings have this game with Kentucky favored by 13. Ole Miss opened favored by 17 over Vanderbilt with a game total of 64 and a half. Our power ratings have this game with Ole Miss favored by 16. Georgia opened favored by 14 and a half over Kentucky with a game total of 44 and a half. Our power ratings have this game with Georgia favored by 13. And finally, the SEC game of the week Texas A&M opened favored by 11.5 over Arkansas with a game total of 56.5. Our power ratings have this game with Texas A&M favored by 5. Thank you Billy. And after this commercial break, I will be joined by Kenneth for his analysis for each game. We are pleased to be partnered with our dear friend Rachel Barbo and her organization I'm Changing the Narrative. The mission of I'm Changing the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as an inspiration for students, professionals and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion and platform. Rachel speaks to athletes about taking back the headlines for good, showing them that they have the power to change the narrative and to find their purpose in life outside of their sport. To live lives of purpose, passion and platform. Just like her inspiration, Alabama and NFL star, Kevin Turner did before he succumbed to ALS and CTE. For more information, please visit www.iamchangingthenarrative.org. Welcome back, everyone, and I'm pleased to be joined by both of my guys, Billy and Kenneth, and let's break down the Saturday slate. Our first game is Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. This next game is being sponsored by the Rebel Walk. For the best coverage of all things Ole Miss, please give them a follow on Twitter at the Rebel Walk, and you can visit their website at www.therebelwalk.com. And a special hello to our good friend Ole Miss Evie. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie. Also, hello to our dear friends Ms. Donna and Ms. Kathy, who are listening and want to hear your analysis. For this game breakdown, Kenneth would have been joined by our dear friend Evie to give her thoughts on the game, but unfortunately, Evie had family obligations and wasn't able to join us this week. Evie, we are thinking about you. So, Kenneth, give us the breakdown for the game. Well said, Summer. Um, as many of you know, Evie is not only a mentor for me, but also a very dear friend. So, um, Evie, we're definitely thinking about you and um, hope all is well, my friend. 
All right, so turning to this ball game, it is not just um, campaign season uh, throughout the country, but it's also uh, campaign season on the campus of Ole Miss for head coach Lane Kiffin as he tries to deflect attention uh, towards a questionable call against Auburn on that kickoff that likely wouldn't have been overturned um, because it wasn't as clear cut as he's trying to make it out to be. But he's trying to draw attention and focus away from his underperforming offense and more importantly, him making some very questionable uh, decisions, especially in the last two ball games. Now, Matt Corral was absolutely cooking with with uh, Crisco the first couple of ball games. Um, in fact, in his first three games, Matt was 69 for 88, um, 1,080 yards on 78 percent completion percentage he had nine touchdowns one interception but in the last two games matt has absolutely struggled and there's no um other way to put it than that he is 36 out of 65 55 percent completion percentage and has only thrown for 354 yards three passing touchdowns but eight interceptions, add in a fumble, and that's nine turnovers in two games. That's not winning football whatsoever. And it's not like Matt has been under a tremendous amount of pressure in these last two games. He's only been hit three times and had six quarterback hurries. Ole Miss is still one of the top offenses in the SEC, averaging 34.8 offensive points per game and ranks number one in the SEC in rushing yards per game with 222.4 yards per game. They rank second only behind Alabama in total offense per game with 521, but Ole Miss is still struggling to convert red zone attempts for touchdowns. That number for them on the season is 62.5. And with the amount of times that they have been in the red zone, not converting those touchdowns has absolutely cost them in the last two ball games. And mind you, some of those red zone trips that they're not even converting for touchdowns, they haven't even converted for field goals. I'll get to that here in just a moment. The difference for me has been with Ole Miss in these last two ball games is Lane Kiffin so focused on that call sheet that um, the analytics tell him on fourth and less than five, you go for it no matter where you are on the field. That's not being a head coach, ladies and gentlemen. We saw it uh, bite the Tampa, the Tampa Bay um, team in the World Series um, against the Dodgers when their uh, pitcher was absolutely mowing down Dodgers batters, 
but because the analytics said he should not go through the lineup a third time, they pull him. The Dodgers immediately scored two runs. Good night, World Series all over. Lane is making that same mistake. He's not being a head coach, and he's relying way too much on the analytics. So because of coaching malpractice, and this is something that I've talked about uh, quite a bit, especially with these football podcasts, that will absolutely get you fired, and especially in this conference. Unless Lane wants to go back to being an offensive coordinator at a P5 school or a group of five head coach again, he better get this turned around and get it turned around quickly. Now, on the flip side, the Ole Miss defense has shown some improvement. They've given up 394 yards of total offense against Arkansas And yes, they gave up 462 against Auburn, but that's far better than what they were giving up the first three weeks of this SEC-only schedule when they gave up in three games 1,924 yards in three games. It's hard to imagine any team giving up the amount of yards and points that they were giving up um, is going to win ball games. Tackling is still an issue, and that was no more evident on the pass from Bo Nix to Seth Williams um, along the sideline. Two defenders missed tackles. Seth goes up the sideline for 58 yards to go ahead and what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. Now, here's an interesting fact that Ole Miss kicker Luke Logan has not attempted a field goal in the last two games. That's correct. He has not attempted a field goal in the last two games. And you're going to say, well, Kenneth, he's been injured. No, he's not been injured, not based on anything we've seen. And to further that, he's 22 out of 22 on extra point attempts. So he's kicked extra points uh, in the past couple of weeks. But for some reason, Lane is not trusting his kicker or putting too much trust in that chart and not taking field goals and taking the three points instead of, getting stopped on fourth down, getting stopped in the red zone, and not getting points. Maybe Coach Kiffin should spend a little less time on Twitter and start being a coach for his team again. Because the lane train could be without a conductor if he doesn't start putting wins, a.k.a. steam, in the engine. But if there was an opponent that you could pick for Ole Miss to quote-unquote get right to work out all of the issues that they have from play calling to execution to getting Matt some confidence, 
for the defense to kind of show some even more improvement. If there was a conference opponent that you could pick for the Ole Miss Rebels uh, for this Saturday, would it not be the Vanderbilt Commodores? Vandy ranks at the bottom of nearly every offensive and defensive key efficiency metric that I track. So this is imperative for Coach Kiffin to leave Nashville on Saturday, not with just a win, but to have his offense, his defense, his special teams to feel much better about themselves going into the final stretch of the season. This is especially important for their quarterback, Matt Corral, to have a very clean game, and that means no turnovers, no fumbles, no interceptions in this ballgame against Vandy. Because if not, the question that we haven't asked all season will start to be asked at the end of this ballgame. When does Coach Kiffin pull Matt Corral for John Rice Plumley. If Matt doesn't play better in this ballgame, those questions are going to come louder. And Matt needs to have, like I said, a, a very clean game. Coach Kiffin needs to call a much better game. Lane, it's okay to take the three points. Uh, especially early on in the ball game, get out of Nashville with a win and put your team in a position to finish out the remaining part of the season on a much higher note. Our next game is Georgia and Kentucky. Yeah, what we have in this matchup between the Kentucky Wildcats and the Georgia Bulldogs from all the numbers that I'm looking at, it, it it looks like the the margin should be even more pronounced. And what do I mean by that? Our numbers have Georgia um, favored by 13. The line has it with Georgia favored by uh, now in, in some locations 15. I'm just amazed that the that the gap between these two isn't more pronounced. Kentucky cannot score without their defense um, either scoring points or creating turnovers to um, allow them to get a short field. And I'm going to highlight a number right here for the Kentucky um, offense. Kentucky averages about 30 yards per drive. So what does that mean for for me looking at it from an analytical standpoint? I want to take that number and then I want to look at what their points per drive number is. Kentucky's point per drive is only 1.96. That's good for 10th in the SEC. So when you marry those two numbers together, Kentucky needs a short field to score points. Kentucky is unable to over the span of usually in an SEC game, um, 
each offense is going to have the ball anywhere between 10 and 12 drives per game on average. So with Kentucky only getting 30.6 yards per drive and only averaging about one, eh, let's round it up, two points per drive, this is not a formula for beating a team like Georgia, especially given how good of a defense Georgia presents. Now, let, let's take in comparison and just just remember those numbers for, for Kentucky here in just a moment. The Georgia defense, even after that explosion against Alabama, is only allowing 25.4 yards per drive. Points per drive? Georgia is giving up 1.5. So, do you foresee in this matchup the Georgia offense, which has not been um, known or or shown a a real allowance to turn the ball over a lot? Yes, we know about the three ints against Alabama, but. Kentucky's offense is not the same as Alabama, so I don't foresee in this ball game where Georgia is going to turn the ball over three times and Kentucky is going to be able to get 14 to 17 points that they are going to absolutely need from their defense. Similar to what they did against uh, Tennessee to, to help them close the gap and win this game. All of our models show that um, Georgia should win and Georgia should win very comfortably in this ball game. I would have no problem um, thinking that Georgia is going to win this game by more than two touchdowns. And I don't see Kentucky getting to 17 or 20 points in this ball game. I could see a late turnover um, by this Kentucky offense um, and give Georgia another another score, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal. But this is why we track offensive points per game, and, and we do it in such a way. So um, just uh, putting kind of a, a last fingerprint on this on this ball game. Take away what um, Kentucky did against Ole Miss in week two. And let's take a look at what their offensive um, what their offense has generated in the last three ball games. 18 points against Mississippi State. Against Tennessee two weeks ago, 22 points. And last week against Missouri whose defense is not going to be uh, thought of in the same light, in the same vein as Georgia's defense, could only muster 10 points, 145 yards of total offense. Do you see a scenario where Missouri is going to do a whole lot better than that this week against Georgia? Our models say no. Um, my 
just watching this team play over the past couple of weeks say no. It doesn't matter who the starting quarterback is, whether it's Terry Wilson or Joey Gatewood. I haven't seen anything from the passing game for from either one of them that would lead me to think that they're going to throw for 300 yards, four touchdowns against this Georgia defense. Our next game is LSU and Auburn. Yeah, this matchup between the Auburn Tigers and the LSU Tigers is one of the most interesting games I've had the pleasure of breaking down this um, this season in the SEC. Because unlike last season when uh, it was a nip and tuck game uh, where you had um, this juggernaut of an LSU offense and maybe one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen in college football, going up against a very stout defensive front in Auburn uh, led by All-American Derek Brown. That's not what we're going to see Saturday afternoon um, on CBS. Um, Both teams are not, I I don't want to say bad on defense, but I will say give up a lot of points on defense. And I'll I'll go through some of the um, numbers here in just a moment. Both offenses are in transition. We've talked about the struggles um, Bo Nix has um, at the quarterback position and how he has regressed um, with Chad Morris coming um, over from Arkansas last year. Here's Bo Nick's numbers, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, despite having that great game against Ole Miss, you have to uh, take last week's numbers uh, kind of with a grain of salt. Bo Nix is not going to probably complete um, 70%, 77% of his passes like he did last week. Um on the season, because that's what I want to look at with Bo Nix. Um, he's completed 101 passes, um, 172 um, attempts. That's 58.7%, ladies and gentlemen. That's still um, at the bottom of the SEC. And he's only completing, even after the game that he had last weekend against Ole Miss, Uh, He's still only completing 6.4 yards per pass. That's just not going to get it done in a matchup where you're going to probably need to put up a lot of points. And when I say a lot of points, you're going to need to score about 35 to 38 in this ballgame. I just haven't seen that from Bo Nix this season, despite the game against Ole Miss. Um, Six passing touchdowns four INTs on the season. Three of those touchdowns came in week one against Kentucky. So we haven't seen him develop as a passer. What we have seen is we've seen a running game finally develop in Auburn, and that's led by Tank Bigsby. Uh, Tank has has just absolutely been spectacular so far. 
especially in the, in the last two ball games. You have to look at um, what he's doing and, and, and try to um, develop, okay, what can we expect going forward um, from this Auburn offense? You're seeing an offense that does not trust Bo Nix, and they're leaning more and more on the running game. And here's some numbers to kind of back that up. So I looked at their um, run-pass ratio. And here's that ratio over the last couple of games. And, And like I said, just kind of build this out with me. 41 runs um, three weeks ago, 30, 32 pass attempts, and that was against Arkansas. Against South Carolina, uh, 36 runs, 50 passes. That's because they needed to, to, to kind of get caught up in the game. Last week against um, Ole Miss, 47 runs. 32 passes. So they want to keep Bo Nix anywhere from 28 to 32 passes maximum per game. They don't want him getting into that high 30 number. So I'm LSU. I expect to see a heavy dose of Tank Bixby in this ball game. Now, this LSU defense is not the LSU defense that uh, the fans in Baton Rouge have come to know and love over the past decade. Um, They're leaking oil all over the place. And let's just take a look at their last couple of opponents here. Uh, Two weeks ago against Missouri, they gave up the house as far as um, offensive yards in that ballgame. Gave up 586 yards of total offense, 45 offensive points to Missouri. Last week against South Carolina, like I said, their offensive numbers got skewed. Their defensive numbers did not get skewed because last week their offense scored um, on a pick six. So credit to the defense for for that. And they also got a kickoff return to to kind of elevate their offense, um, their total score numbers, if you will. Last week against a South Carolina offense that literally struggled um, a lot in conference play, they gave up 400 yards of total offense. And Colin Hill is not going to be confused with uh, some of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. So as far as the ground game, 29 rushes, 169 yards, 5.8 yards per carry um, is what the South Carolina offense did against this LSU uh, Tiger defense. Um, LSU gave up four runs over 10 yards in that ball game. So I don't see this as the defensive game um, that we saw last year. Now, On the positive note for LSU, um, especially on the defensive side, you saw five sacks in that ball game. If they're able to 
replicate that number against Auburn, that's going to bode really well for this LSU team uh, going to Jordan Hare to, to come out of there with a win. Um, looking at the uh, quarterback who's going to be making um, his second start, and that's T.J. Finley, um, as Miles Brennan still recovers from that torn um, abdominal muscle. Um, so he's not going to be in the in the game this week. Went back and watched the game, and what I saw, and mind you, this is just a body type comparison. This isn't a expectation of what this young man is going to be. But he reminded me in the pocket um, from the way that he catches the ball uh, in the sh- in the gun um, to his release, a lot like Cam Newton um, when Cam was at Auburn. They're about the same size, about six foot five, six foot six, about 245 pounds. Now, he's not the running threat that Cam was, and and let me be clear when I say that. TJ is not the running threat, but as far as having that kind of longer throwing motion, a lot like what Cam has um, while he was at Auburn. But there is some pop in that arm, and what I mean by that, the ball gets on those wide receivers, and it gets on them quickly. And in this matchup, you're going to see two really top-level quarter um, wide receivers in this ball game for Auburn, uh, Seth Williams, for LSU, um, Mr. Marshall. Whichever wide receiver can dominate um, in this ball game is who I expect to kind of have a little little bit of an advantage. Now. The difference is LSU is going to have Derek Stingley probably manning up on Seth Williams, I would expect, for the whole ball game. Knowing Coach Bo Pelini, he's going to want to say to uh, Stingley, go lock him up and, and basically shut him down. Jacoby Stevens, um, really good uh, safety for LSU. I expect to see him in the box a lot um, to neutralize Tank Bigsby. You don't want him running loose in your secondary. So I expect to see Jacoby Stevens up towards the line and, and being that eighth guy in the box. Now, on the other side of the, of, of the ball, Auburn is going to have a matchup nightmare on its hands with uh, freshman uh, phenom tight end Eric Gilbert. He is already proven to be a matchup nightmare, and I expect to see more of that uh, on Saturday afternoon. So who does Auburn try to take away in this ballgame? If they try to take away Marshall, I expect to see a bigger a, a bigger impact from from Gilbert. If they try to kind of play an inside out uh, coverage on Gilbert, I expect to see Marshall really kind of go off in this ball game because while Roger McCrary, the um, corner for Auburn, is a really good corner, is he going to follow? Um, 
Marshall all over the field because Marshall will go in the slot. I haven't seen that from from Seth Williams um, in this ball game. I mean, in the season a lot. Does Gus kind of does Gus and Chad Morris kind of say, okay, we're gonna move Seth um, in and play him as the X, as the Z in the slot? I haven't seen it, so I can't kind of forecast that when when I don't have a lot of those snaps um, on on tape right now. And I mentioned this this young man last week for LSU, Tyron Davis Price, um, really kind of burst onto the scene last week. If he is going to get 25, 30 touches, and I like saying touches and not carries because he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Mix in uh, John Emery Jr. This could pose a huge problem for the Auburn Tiger defense. I don't expect to see a low-scoring game like we saw last year, 23-20. I expect this number to get in the high 20s and maybe even into the 30s. That's going to favor LSU more so than Auburn because even with a true freshman at quarterback, I think um, that offensive coordinator for LSU, Steve Ensmeyer, is going to trust his offense a little bit more than what Gus is trusting his second-year starting quarterback and Bo Nix in this ballgame. Uh, we saw the line flip um, from the open to now LSU um, at last check being a um, field goal favorite in this ball game. I kind of see this as a one-score game uh, for most of the most of the of the contest, and would not be surprised at the end of the game if LSU does not come out of this ball game with a huge win against the Auburn Tigers. Our next game is Missouri and Florida. Kenneth was joined by our good friend Gator Dave to break down the game. You can find Dave on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his podcast The Gator Breakdown on News4Jacks.com. Here is the interview with Gator Dave and Kenneth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to be joined once again by my good friend Gator Dave. You can catch Gator Dave on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and his fantastic podcast, The Gators Breakdown, on news4jacks.com. Dave, thank you for coming back on, my friend. How's everything going down in Gainesville? Pretty good, pretty good, Kenneth. Uh, fi- finally game week again, so uh, I was gonna we finally, say, finally get some football. <laughs> I was going to say, the last time I talked to you, we were getting ready for a Florida-LSU matchup. Of course, that game was postponed uh, by um, the pandemic there. So, Dave, I want to just ask you from a from an overall team health standpoint, is the the Florida roster um, pretty much uh, back to back to full full staff as far as all the players being available? Uh, Kenneth, I don't think so. Uh, from going around and, and kind of listening to, to Dan Mullen and, and kind of going behind the scenes a little bit as well, mm-hmm. uh, when Florida plays uh, Missouri on Saturday, I don't, I don't think Florida's going to be near nowhere near their their eighty five you know their their eighty five man roster there. Uh, they were hit pretty hard in the month of October. Uh, from COVID, you know, or, or, you know mid-30s, around 35, 36, 37 players. 
uh, through October uh, have been affected by, by COVID. So, uh, you know, it was, and as of Tuesday, you know, it was six six more from last week. So you got to imagine oh. who, whoever those six were probably won't be available uh, for this Missouri right. game. So we'll, we'll see uh, where this, this Florida roster stands. That's the biggest question right now. And, you know, of course, if you kind of just want to – gleam some ideas of who might be out there. You know, we had some players speak to the media this week, Kyle Trask, Malik Davis, James Houston. So you would imagine those three guys are, are, are probably ready to go. Of course, you, you want your quarterback out there. But as of now, you know, there's when you have that many, Kenneth, there, there's got to be position groups that were hit hard. So uh, absolutely, you know, Mullen's going to kind of be secretive about it. And I, I don't blame him necessarily. Uh, you got to have every advantage right now if you're going to be undermanned. And uh, we'll, we'll see who rolls out there for the Gators on Saturday versus Missouri. And Dave, as I was getting ready to break this game down, I started just just going through some notes and I came across um, some interesting stats. And I know as far as all the all the all the Florida fans are gearing up for the game next week but um being around coaches for as long as i've been next week doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't win this week because pretty much the road to the sec um east championship is going to be decided next week but in order for that to happen for florida they must beat missouri this week absolutely and and, and in a way i think the um... You don't want to wish what Florida went through the last couple of weeks on anybody, but at least I, I think the focus will be there for Missouri. I don't think there's any look ahead to, to mm-hmm. Georgia because, look, I mean, it's been – when Saturday rolls around, it, it will have been three weeks as far as played a football game. Right. So they're, probably re- they're probably ready to get out there and hit anybody. It doesn't matter who's on the other sideline. So they're, they're probably ready to play. You know, they, have, they weren't able to practice for two weeks. They weren't around their teammates physically for two weeks. They were in you know, virtual Zoom meetings for, for two weeks. So I'm sure they're, they're ready to get out there and, and just go play a game of football. So it, in that way, it's probably a blessing in disguise. They're not looking ahead to Georgia. They they want to go play a football game on Saturday, and then you prepare for Georgia on Sunday. You you look at next Tuesday, and uh, it's NCAA mandated that uh, they teams can't practice. You know they they right. want uh, they want all these students to go out there and, and cast their vote for the presidential election coming up. So Florida mm-hmm. is going to start prepping for Georgia on Sunday since uh, they can't practice on Tuesday. So you know you, you'll get to Georgia in due time. We all know how big that game is, but as you said, you got to go beat Missouri first. But luckily for Florida, you know I, I don't think it matters. They're ready to go play a football game on Saturday. And Dave, to your point, the last time that we saw Florida, um, especially for that defense, it's got to be a bad taste in their mouth against um, what was a very disappointing uh, Texas A&M team. And Kellen Mond goes 25 for 35, 338 and three touchdowns. And Isaiah Spiller basically um, looked at the uh, Florida front seven and said, um, give me the rock and, and I'll take it. 27 carries, 174 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Dave, as I was breaking uh, Missouri down, if there is a team in the SEC that's going to get this Florida defense ready from a philosophy standpoint and kind of a what type of offense we're going to run, believe it or not, it's the Missouri Tigers. Missouri and Georgia numbers are almost mirror images of each other. Missouri runs the ball about 41 times a game. So does Georgia. The run-pass ratio, um, Missouri's about 47 and a half percent, I'm sorry, 55% run, 45% pass. Georgia's 53% run, 47% pass. Both teams are about 45% uh, on on third down. So this for um, 
defensive uh, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham is almost kind of like, hey, I can basically put together my blueprint because what I'm going to see next week, I'm going to get a heavy dose of it this week um, in the swamp. That may be a good thing uh, and for 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 some of the problems Todd Grantham's had this year and, and also going back to his whole career at Florida. It's been against experienced quarterbacks, quarterbacks that have played a lot of football. And right. that's what's giving him a lot of trouble. And, look, we saw it with Kellerman uh, versus Texas A&M a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. We've seen it the last couple of years against Georgia. Uh, with Jake Fromm. We saw it with Joe Burrow last year, of course. You know, the quarterbacks have given them the most trouble. And it's been guys who have a lot of experience. And Todd Grantham has feasted on quarterbacks that don't necessarily have a whole lot of experience. So, right. Connor Bay's like this coming up week. Uh, Seth and Bennett next week. And that's who rolls for Georgia next week as well. Uh, two mm-hmm. quarterbacks that don't have a lot of experience. So, you know, and looking at Missouri, also, and kind of going to your point there, you look at what they've done the last couple games there, they've won games the last two completely different ways. They went and had a shootout versus LSU and, and found a way to come out on top of that. And then they beat Kentucky at their own game of ground and pound and, and control the clock and time of possession and beat Kentucky at their own game last week. So Missouri's also proven they can win in, in a couple ways. So, you know, who, who knows where, where Florida's going to be. Um, it, of course, you're going to look in, at Florida at offense and say, okay, either w- with a break anyway, they're probably still going to put up, you know, 30-ish points. They're, they're, Florida's gonna, at least going to put up 30 points. Right. But, you know, if you look at the last couple of weeks in Missouri, Missouri may be comfortable uh, with that. And we'll look at what Texas A&M did and just kind of – and South Carolina the week before that as well is just, hey, keep their offense on the field, keep Florida's offense off the field, and uh, they'll take their chances going that way. I was going to say, and in, in coming into this game, um, last last check, Missouri was almost a two-touchdown underdog. And if you're going to win a game in conference on the road when you're that big of an underdog, you got to control the turnovers. you got to convert on third downs, and you got to take those red zone trips and, and convert those into touchdowns. You're not going to beat Florida by kicking field goals in the swamp. Oh, yeah, exactly. Even with the time off, I, I think Florida's offense would be fine. Yeah, they might, might, might not come out firing uh, on the very first drive, but, you know, to, to kind of maybe look encouraging there, look, if you just want to look at the, the object of time, you know, Kyle Trask didn't play a whole lot of football. Felipe mm-hmm. Franks goes down last year. He comes in that Kentucky game and starts leading Florida right down the field <laughs> the first time he steps on the field. And then you go to this year as well, and it gets Ole Miss the first game of the season. You hadn't played a game since – last late December in the Orange Bowl and Florida comes out and scores on the very first drive of the game. They scored right. like every first drive uh, of the game so far this year. So this little layoff that Florida's had the, the, the last couple of weeks, I don't think it's going to affect the offense too much. Am I going to panic if Florida doesn't score the, the very first drive of the game? No, because uh, there's enough history with this offense led by Kyle Trask that he's uh, going to go put points up on the board. And Dave, to your point, um, I, I I fully expect Florida to maybe kind of start the game off a little bit slow. But what you want to do when you're facing a running back like Larry Roundtree III, who right now I have him as my co-number two uh, top running back in the SEC, along with uh, Texas A&M running back Isaiah Spiller. Um, if you're going to slow down a, a running attack, and we saw what he did last week um, – just a fantastic performance. Your front seven is going to have to step up and say, we're not going to repeat what we did in college station again. And on the opposite side, 
what you want to do is you want to make Missouri play left-handed. You want to force Connor Bazak instead of throwing 20 to 22 uh, attempts per game, you want to force him uh, into that upper 30s and almost 40 numbers. Absolutely. You, you want to take your chances this game and, and, and seeing if Connor Bazelak can replicate his LSU performance. That, that, that's what you want if you're, if you're a Florida fan. If he can do that, by all means, okay, let him – not let him do it, but if, if he does it, then, okay, you, you deserve to lose if he can go out there and do it. Uh, you cannot get beat by the by, by the run game this week, especially knowing how important Roundtree is to that. And, look, he's not some running back out there who's going to go pop off 20, 30-yard runs. He's just a guy that's going to go out there and get a steady six, seven yards, keep the chains moving, and just kind of wear you down as the game goes along. That's just kind of the, the style of running back that he is. And that, to me, that is a worry uh, for Florida because I, I think it's imperative that, that Florida does get off to a fast start because – being off these last two weeks, dealing with some post-COVID symptoms, I don't know where Florida's going to be at uh, physicality-wise and, and, mm-hmm. and, and measure fatigue. Because uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the uh, worries here uh, for Florida is with as many players that, that got hit with COVID – you know, one of these post-COVID symptoms is is still fatigue. You may, right. you know, you, you may not have the fever. You you may feel fine, but go out there and play a football game and see if you can go hold up for three, four quarters. And I think that's going to be really important for Florida to build a lead and make Missouri have to fight from behind. Because to me, if it's a close game midway through the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, I don't like Florida's chances. I I think there's a chance Florida may be the better team, but I don't know depth-wise if Florida can hold up with everything that has went on the last couple of weeks. And you're you're spot on with that, Dave. Uh, looking back at the last time we saw the Florida Gators, it wasn't that big 40 or 50-yard run that they gave up to Spiller. It was 10 here, 7 here, 8 here, and just kept pounding. I said, because I like doing... I like doing comps to where, especially uh, Florida Gator fans that are listening listening to this uh, podcast, he... Roundtree reminds me a little bit of a guy that I saw run at Florida for a number of years, and that's Eric Rett. Rett wasn't going to break that 80-yard run, but he was going to pound you into submission by getting six yards, six yards in the first quarter. And those six-yard runs were going to turn into eight, nine, ten yards in the third and fourth quarter. He wasn't going to wear down, and that's kind of what I see with Roundtree. Yeah, as the game goes on, you just don't want anything to do with it anything to do with those type of players. If you're on defense, he, he, <laughs> he, he's put a pounding on you for three quarters. <laughs> and by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, you just don't, you don't want to tackle. So yeah, I think, you know, two reasons I think Florida needs to get up uh, early. I think, you know, if you do wear down, if you've got enough points on the board, Missouri has to fight back, but it also takes Larry Roundtree out of the game a bit and puts the hand, puts the game in the hands of Connor Bayswack. So he's proven it. You know, like I said, they've, they've won games both ways uh, the, the mm-hmm. last couple of games, but Florida's path to success is not letting Larry Roundtree go, go crazy. And this is where you, you want to see uh, Dan Mullen, um, offensive coordinator, uh, Billy Gonzalez, really kind of put together a, a game plan. Because like you said, you don't know where where the position groups were hit. But as you, as you stated, with that many players um, affected by COVID, you got to think that somewhere in those numbers – um, your defensive either uh, front four and especially within your front seven had to have uh, some guys that are, are going to be out. So depth is going to be an issue in this ball game. Absolutely. Yeah, Florida, hopefully for, for the defensive side of the ball, 
they, they get Kyrie Campbell back. Uh, he's tweeted the other night that he's ready to go. He's ready to play. He's been practicing all week. So that's a big piece for Florida. You know, add defensive tackle to help uh, to Daryl Slayton and, and true freshman Gervon Dexter, who's been playing a lot of reps there. That defensive tackle gives them one more death piece. And look, I, I don't want to label Kyrie Campbell some all SEC, all you know, all all, all national type of team player here but he's played two years of sec football in, in, in a start in a starting role he's got plenty of experience and he allows some other players to go play in their natural positions now zachary carter doesn't have to play defensive tackle so much he can go play defensive end where he's played better this year Britton cox doesn't have to play defensive end he can go and and stand up not have his hand in the dirt play that outside linebacker buck type that that, that florida likes to rush the passer with he can play his more natural spot so Kyrie Campbell, as I'm saying, he, he's not some great player, but he allows a lot of the other better players on Florida's defense to go play in their more natural positions and go make some plays. And you start making plays up front, and that helps that Florida back end that struggle a little bit uh, as well. So, you know, Kyrie Campbell being back is, is huge for the Gators uh, in, in trying to figure out ways to fix this defense. And you're going to see in this matchup two of what I think are, are – um, amongst the better linebackers um, in the conference. And that's Vontrell Miller for the Gators. And of course, the young man for, for Missouri there, Nick Bolton. Uh, what are you expecting to see from, from those two linebackers who, who basically kind of set the tempo, especially for that defensive front seven for each team? Yeah, it's going to help Ventura Miller also having Kyrie Campbell back because it, it can, it, it can uh, you know, now the defensive tackles can take on some blocks and it leaves him to not necessarily take on so many blocks and actually just be able to, you know, to go hit the hole hard and, and find the running back. Uh, I think that that really helps for him. Uh, and Bolton's just been a tackling machine uh, <laughs> so, so far this year for Missouri. I mean, he, he's just, it, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. and It doesn't matter what style of offense that the opposition's running, whether it's Alabama and LSU and their high-flying passing attacks or whether it be Tennessee and, and Kentucky, he's got his, he, he's in there on the action no, no matter what, uh, the opposing offense is throwing at him. So uh, especially more so Bolton and, and what he brings to, 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 to Missouri's defense. You know, I, I don't know how well Florida's going to run the ball this game, uh, especially late. I think if we talk about trenches and, and having numbers available and how tired mm-hmm. guys can get, I think that can go also go for the Florida offensive line uh, as well. So if Florida, if Florida does get up uh, in a way that I think they should, if they're able to, can they go put the game away uh, with their offensive line? And Nick Bolton's going to be a, a part of that. Can can this offensive line, time after time again, go back there and, and block the bet, one of the probably the best players on the field uh, when the two teams match up Saturday night? So um, I, it's uh, yeah, these two linebackers. Uh, I think Ventro Miller is going to really benefit from having Kyrie Campbell back, and we're just going to see if Nick Bolton can continue <laughs> his tackling machine ways for for the rest of this year, uh, for for the beginning part of the season so far. And he's on pace to have, as you were talking about Nick Bowden, just one of one of those special years at, at, at a linebacker spot that you don't see too often. Looking at the Missouri defense, they don't get a lot of sacks, but um, the one guy that, that's kind of gotten a sack in each of the last three games uh, for the Missouri Tigers is Trey, Trey John uh, Jeffcoat. He's recorded a sack in each of the last three games. Um, do you expect to see Florida kind of maybe slide a little bit um, as far as protection wise and leave the other the other um, rush in kind of to go one on one? Or do you feel like um, either one of the two tackles for, for Florida can really kind of neutralize him from getting in the backfield? 
Uh, Stone Force South on the left side probably better than so far this year than especially Gene Delance on on the right hand side. Um, we, we could see some shuffling along this Florida offensive line a bit. I, I am wondering, Ethan White, who really came on at the end of last season as a as a true freshman, uh, he looks like he's back at practice. He hasn't played this year. He was. He posted an Instagram video the, the other night of him in cleats uh, and, and in pads walking to practice. It was from his point of view, so he was basically looking down at his legs, and it was him walking to practice. And it was a welcome sign for Gator fans because uh, now you might can get a, a better – if he's able to go, if he's close to 100%, it may allow, allow some shuffling on the uh, on the offensive line as well. So maybe Richard Garage, which was maybe kind of predicted before Ethan White went down, maybe he goes out there and slides at that right tackle spot and Brett Hagee and Ethan White, you'll kind of figure out along the way which one plays left guard, which one plays center. But Brett Hagee's played pretty good at center so far this year. Uh, Kyle Trask hasn't taken a lot of sacks uh, this year. He's been pressured, uh, but the, the Florida offensive line uh, has given him enough time to, to, to get rid of the ball. Uh, so uh, right now, you know, just kind of looking at uh, what uh, Florida would be bringing to the table, I, I feel pretty confident. No, no matter who's really out there, I, I do say – Stone four sides better uh, at left tackle, so they may try and match up on the right side with Gene Lance. But as I said, going back and looking at this rest of the season, Wild Tracks has been pressured. He hasn't necessarily taken a whole lot of hits. Yeah, and just looking at, at some of those numbers um, through uh, just three ball games, I got uh, Cal Tras uh, being pressured uh, 13 times, which is about 11. Uh, let's round it up to 12% of um, all the pass plays that Florida's run. So like you said, not a lot of pressure and thankfully not taking a lot of sacks either. I mean, he's only taken four sacks so far in the season. So Kyle's doing a great job of getting the ball out of his hand and not making some of those critical mistakes that we're seeing with some other quarterbacks in the SEC yeah, right and I, now. And, and honestly, I'll probably give that more to Trask than I will the offensive line. I, I think, you know, checking to the right plays, making sure uh, he's checking to the right play to get the ball out. I, I don't think this offensive line no, – don't get me wrong, I don't want to take a whole lot of credit away from him, but I do think it's a little more Trask mm-hmm. in this offensive line of why they're not necessarily giving up a whole lot of sacks. And, and, pure, and possibly, you know, Dan Mullen's just kind of – system as well you know it's not asking for the quarterback to hold on the ball uh all that long and it's not asking so many deep shots down the field either it's three five step drops and get the ball out or run a screen here and there to to get the ball out of Kyle Trask can so a lot of it's play calling a lot of it's scheme a lot of it's Kyle Trask but this offensive line has played better uh but you know you're not asking Kyle Trask to go out there and do a whole bunch of seven step drops either very good point there, Dave. And looking forward to seeing the matchup with Missouri and, and the Florida Gators on um, homecoming weekend, from what I understand. I know a um, special member of my uh, family who is a proud Florida alum um, is, is definitely looking forward to the game. Um, whether um, fans will be allowed in the stands or not, I know um, one of my sisters will definitely be watching that ball game. And Dave, let everybody know where they can find you, um, all of your tremendous work with the uh, yep, Gators Breakdown. Everybody can follow Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Uh, also catch the podcast video version on YouTube. They can, everybody, if uh, they need it on the go, the audio version, you can find it on your favorite podcast platform. You can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and uh, just cranking out episodes by, uh, again uh, this week with a, with, with a game finally. Finally back for the Gators. 
And literally right before right before the podcast, I got a chance to listen to uh, you break down this game on, on the uh, Gators breakdown. So fantastic work as always, my friend. Um, Dave, um, just as we get ready to uh, get out the door here, um, any thoughts or, or predictions as far as what you're expecting to see as far as not a prediction on the score, but just what are you expecting to see from both this Florida offense and, and especially the Florida defense? Kenneth, uh, a lot of it is who's going to be out there for, for, for Florida. I think that's the biggest thing right now. I still expect you know whoever's out there, if Kyle Trask is out there at a quarterback position, Kyle Pitts is out there. Florida's still going to find a way to put up points. Uh, that, that, that's not a worry for me. It's it's still the biggest worry right now is this defense. Can can they bounce back after having a couple weeks off? You've had a chance to identify some problems. You've had a chance to identify maybe some personnel that should be in in certain situations and, and maybe guys who should be playing certain positions uh, that, that were playing other positions uh, in the first three games. So it's more about this defense and, and if they can, can, can take a step. And look, it's obvious now through three games this isn't going to be a great defense. But can they have great moments? Can they have a great game here and there? Can they can they put it together when Florida really needs it? That that's the thing. They're, they're going to have to be situational from here on out. They're not going to be a good defense. They're not going to be a great defense. But can you be a good and great defense at certain points of the season? And that's what I'm looking for on Saturday. Dave, my friend, thank you so much for taking out the time to come back on the show. Have a great game, and look forward to catching up much. with you soon, my friend. Hey, right, thanks, Dave. Our next game is Alabama and Mississippi State. Also, let me say hello to our friends in the Houndstooth crew. I know that the crew and all our listeners are looking forward to you breaking down this matchup. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, The Mississippi State-Alabama game is not going to be close. Um, There's no forecasting or model that I've done to where Mississippi State uh, keeps this game close. In the last three ball games, Mississippi State has scored a combined 20 points by their offense. Alabama generally averages 28 points in the first half alone. In fact, that average in their five ball games just in the first half is 26.4 uh, points per game. So. I don't expect this game to be close um, past halftime and expect to see a lot of Alabama backups in the ballgame, especially late in the second half. But what what is going on at Mississippi State um, needs to be talked about, and I'm going to try to do this as carefully and clearly as I possibly can. In the past week, we've seen several players um, enter the transfer portal um, from Texas, I mean, from Mississippi State. Um, Most notably, um, running back Colin Hill, um, running back who had a fantastic game in week one against LSU. So I'm going to set the scene to, to kind of paint paint a picture for you and let you draw your own conclusions um, afterwards. Back in June, Hill and several other um, players from um, Mississippi State were going to boycott the season. 
if the Mississippi state flag was not changed. That's been well publicized on a multitude of um, platforms. So you can go back and read the story about how this one player, along with some of his teammates, got something changed in the state of Mississippi that would not have changed had he not threatened to boycott the season. That's not to be debated. That happened. Okay. Now let's fast forward to the season. Hill has a fantastic game in week one, not only running the ball, but receiving the ball. So what transpired with Mike Leach and several of his players, including Colin Hill, um, will be likely debated. Um, I talked to a couple of sources that cover the Mississippi State program, and here's what I will say. Mike Leach, in a press conference, I want to say about a week ago, said that he needed to clean out the program. Um, because certain players didn't fit um, with his philosophy as a coach. It is reported, and it's been widely reported, that he and Hill had a verbal disagreement. Hill was basically benched um, for a week, and now has um, said that he's going to um, not play the rest of the season and get ready for the NFL draft. Leach confirmed, and we're recording this on Thursday, confirmed yesterday, Wednesday, that several more players will be transferring out of the Mississippi State program. It is noted that uh, so far that our reporting and discussions have shown that um, these aren't going to be the only players that choose to leave um, Mississippi State because of Coach Leach and his um, archaic um, way of dealing with players. Now, this is not the first time Coach Leach has had an incident um, high profile like this. Go back to 2009 when Leach was the head coach of Texas Tech. Coming off of a 11-2 season in 2008 um, was fired because of his mistreatment of um, barely used wide receiver Adam James. Adam James is the son of former ESPN broadcaster Craig James. When James uh, reported a um, concussion issue uh, to Coach Leach, Coach Leach called him a name that I'm not going to say on this podcast, but let's just say it's an unflattering term and told 
James to go sit in a shed where it was dark so he wouldn't have any more headaches. Um, at the time, um, Craig James was still on the air with ESPN um, and made some comments about Coach Leach. And Leach was later quoted in saying, the only thing that I regret about this whole situation with um, Adam with Adam, is that he didn't kick him off of the football team because bleeps like him don't deserve to play football. And I put the bleep in there so I wouldn't say what Leach said. So um, Leach, I'm going to say it like this. Mike Leach is Bobby Knight at Indiana. And not surprisingly that Bobby Knight also coached at Texas A&M. But Mike Leach is Bobby Knight with one exception. He's never won anything. Bobby Knight ran Indiana like what Leach has done for the entirety of his career, almost two decades now, with this trying to test guys' manhoods by calling them um, derogatory names. Uh, uh, That's the best way I can say it. Um, I have said that just from a win-loss record that Mike Leach would not be at Mississippi State for more than three years because he wouldn't win enough games. Mike Leach uh, was heavenly courted by the University of Tennessee uh, before they hired Jeremy Pruitt. There was some things that um, the powers um decision makers, if you will, at Tennessee, um, did a little research on Mike Leach and decided to go elsewhere. Mississippi State needed to make a splash as a head coach, um, especially with uh, Coach Kiffin taking over at Ole Miss. And they went down this road with Mike Leach. If half of what I've heard in the past 48 hours is true about Mike Leach, he is going to have a hard time recruiting in the state of Mississippi, and especially some of those junior colleges that produce a lot of talented players in some of those junior colleges there in Mississippi. Um, Because players are going to reach out to guys like Hill and some of the other um, young kids that are are transferring out and they're going to very plainly and very bluntly say hey man what happened um at mississippi state come on tell me the truth they're recruiting me um give me the give me the scoop like i said if half of what i've heard in the past 48 hours is true and i have no reason to doubt it mike leach will struggle to win more than four games 
every season that he still left there at Mississippi State. As I said, the breakdown of this game is not even within doubt. Alabama rose, and it's one of those name-your-score games. And given the fact that Mississippi State has given up um, in the past couple of weeks, 21 to Arkansas, 24 to Kentucky, and these aren't prolific offenses. I'm sorry. And these aren't prolific offenses. 28 to Texas A&M last week that Alabama can absolutely do whatever they want to do um, in this ballgame against Mississippi State. And given all of the other issues that this um, coaching staff and especially this head coach is having to deal with, uh, to say that um, he's not focused and the team is not likely willing to play extremely hard for him is not an understatement. Our final game of the week is Texas A&M and Arkansas. Guys, this is our game of the week. Let me give a shout out to our good friend and former Texas A&M quarterback, David Walker. If you have not done so already, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of his book. I'll tell you when you're good. Yeah, let's get into this ball game because there's some deeper diving into the stats that you have to do when you're when you're looking at this Texas A&M and Arkansas game. So the line right now sits with, and uh, bear with me a moment as I pull this information up here. Arkansas opened as a 11 point, I'm sorry, 11 and a half point underdog in this game to Texas A&M. Now, mind you, um, and we rarely use historical data in matchups, but um, this is kind of significant, especially since we have some of the uh, key players for A&M still involved in some of these ball games, uh, namely head coach Jimbo Fisher and, of course, uh, quarterback Kellen Mond. The last handful of matchups have been a one-score game, so that right there um, takes me away from uh, Texas A&M being almost a two-touchdown um, favorite in this ball game. So let's um, do a deeper look into this Texas A&M um, rush defense because. Now, the stats say that A&M's giving up about 75 yards per game. Okay. Here's where um, you once you do a deeper dive into those numbers, you see that that's not correct. A&M um, was able to pad their defensive stats by playing Mississippi State last weekend. So, um since sacks comes off of the uh, rush yards, um, it looks like this. Last week, uh, Mississippi State, uh, 20 attempts minus two rushing yards. But 
what we're going to judge this Texas A&M rush defense by is their first three games against Vandy, Alabama, and Florida. So here are the numbers for, for those three games, and we're talking just rush, um, rush attempts here. So you're looking at 90 carries, and you're looking at 304 yards. So basically, you're looking at about 30 rush attempts per game and about uh, let's call it 101, 101 yards per game on the ground. So those are the numbers that I'm more likely to expect in this ball game. Now, we understand the struggles that Mississippi State has had on offenses, um, especially since week one. So let's kind of strip away some of those numbers and let's strip away Vandy's uh, passing yards as well because we understand the struggles that um, Vandy has had throwing the ball this season. And now this is not to say that Felipe Franks is a fantastic passer, but there's yards to be gained on this um, Texas A&M defense. So looking at Alabama and Florida and just giving you the averages in those those two games. Quarterbacks averaged about 21.5 uh, completions on 29.5 percent, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 29.5 attempts and about 373 yards passing per game. Now, I'm not expecting Felipe Franks to throw for 350 yards. But could Felipe Franks get around, I don't know, let's say 275? Okay, well, let's take a look at what Felipe Franks has done um, this season. So right now he's averaging about 243 yards uh, per game passing. It's very easy to kind of forecast that he's going to be able to throw for, depending on the game script, but he should be able to throw for at least 260 yards against this Texas A&M defense. He's also going to be able to chip in another, let's say, 20, 20 yards rushing because that's about what he averages right now um, per game. I have a real good feeling uh, going through the game script that this is going to be a one-score game. Um, all the numbers are, are, are taking me in that direction. This Arkansas defense has actually been uh, better than, than advertised, especially over the last uh, couple of games. For the uh, season, they're giving up, and, and this is just what their defense is giving up and not what um, 
their their total number is. Their defense is giving up 18.8 points per game on defense. Only Kentucky and Georgia are better. A number that I absolutely love looking at is points per drive. Arkansas is the best in the SEC in that number, giving up 1.4 points per drive. And their opponents average about, if you round it up, about 14 drives per game. So you can kind of do those numbers out a little bit. Average uh, yards per drive, once again, Arkansas um, is rated really high in that number. They're, they're number three uh, in the conference in that number. So I like uh, what Kentucky's doing on, on defense. Uh, Barry Odom, uh, their defensive coordinator, is doing a fantastic job. Let's take a look at their, their turnover um, turnovers forced. Again, they're number one in the SEC, forcing 13 turnovers. Um, you'll ask, okay, what, where's Texas A&M in that number? Texas A&M is 10th in the conference enforcing turnovers. They've only forced five turnovers uh, per game. You want to take a look at, um, I look at tackles for I look at, uh, I'm sorry, negative plays, which includes sacks and tackles for loss. That's that's a number where where both of these teams are, are kind of um, pretty, pretty close to each other, um, not forcing a lot of uh, negative negative plays. Texas A&M. Um, has 23 and Arkansas has 22. But Arkansas has tied for uh, the league lead in uh, defensive touchdowns along with Kentucky uh, returning three scores for touchdowns. And finally, here here's a number that I love and that's, that's the defensive havoc number. And that's your tackles for loss, pass breakups, and fumble recoveries. Now, number one in that category, um, which is a surprise to, to some some fans, uh, is Alabama with 60. You want to know in this matchup where Arkansas ranks? Arkansas is sixth um, in defensive havoc um, plays with 40. Texas A&M, not too far behind. Uh, they they sit at eighth uh, place in the conference, and they have 38. So you're going to see some 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 plays being made by the offense and defense. I just can't see a scenario where Arkansas loses by more than two scores in um, I'm sorry two touchdowns in this ball game. Would not be surprised if um, Arkansas forces Kellerman into a couple of turnovers, and if 
the Arkansas defense can contain um, Isaiah Spiller, that will be the key for um, the Razorbacks in getting um, another big-time win. Thanks, Kenneth and Billy. I will be back with Billy on Saturday morning to provide you with the weather forecast for all the games and Billy will give you a final look at the line movements that he has been tracking all week just prior to kickoff. Be sure to head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of our good friend David Walker's book, I'll Tell You When You're Good. Please give a follow to our good friend Ole Miss Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site at The Rebel Walk. We are also proud to support our dear friend Rachel Barbeau and her organization I'm Changing the Narrative. For more information please visit www.imchangingthenarrative.org. Also be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at time underscore advantage. Be sure to check out our good friends at Whitwell Sports. Their mission is simple, to provide the best product and service to their customers. They take great pride in their company, their commitment to customer service, and in the product they sell. Their website is www.witwillsports.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Title Towel. Be sure that catch Kenneth breaking down the game of the week in the SEC on the Southern Gentleman Sports Show with the Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, Noel Core, Irish Bill, Tiger Mike, and Ms. Callie Cash on the Ticket 850 where you can stream the show at www.wearesportsradio.com. In closing, we want to say thank you for listening to this preview for this weekend's games. For Kenneth and Billy, this is Summer. And remember whether it is the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, or the English Premier League and coming later this fall we will be covering basketball for the SEC and Ohio Valley Conferences. Because we are the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network and we are here to help you find your sports advantage. Enjoy the games everybody. 